This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Do you love anime, gaming, movies and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. I'm Edward Pickering. I'm the editor of Rulo Magazine, and this is Rulo Conversations. Is there any sport in which fashion is so intrinsically important as cycling? I've been following cycling for a long time, and of course, I remember the days when it was truly the sport that fashion forgot. Back in the 1990s, I wore kits that combined magenta and yellow. I thought it would be a good idea to buy a Gatorade team jersey. My university cycling team kit was purple and white, and none of these matched my bright red Giro helmet. At least my shoes were black. However, cycling and fashion are a natural fit. In the professional peloton, team kits evolve and change as sponsors change. Manchester United always play in red, and Manchester City always play in blue. However, EF Education First ride in bright pink. But when they were Cannondale, they rode in bright green. And before that, when they were Garmin, blue. And designers have realised that cycling kit can look cool even though they also knew this well in the 1960s and 1970s, and even in the 1980s, when some of the most elegant and striking team kits of all time were worn by icons of sport and culture. We've taken a dive into the world of fashion for this latest edition of Rouleau Conversations. I was privileged at Rouleau Live to interview Sir Paul Smith, the world-famous fashion designer, along with Simon Mottram, the founder of Rafa, who has probably done more than any other single individual to make cyclists look good. I also interviewed Charlotte Jarps, who hand-paints cycling shoes in beautiful and bespoke designs. And I roved the halls of Rouleau Live to collar unsuspecting interview subjects to ask them what their favourite team kit of all time was, and also why it was La Vie Claire. There is some background noise on some of these segments of this podcast, but that's because it was recorded at Rouleau Live, and that is the sound of people talking about bikes. I'm here in the Rouleau Live green room with two of the most prominent stars in the cycling firmament. The two men who have contributed to turning cycling from its previous incarnation 
as the sport that fashion forgot into the cool, aesthetically aware and stylish activity that it is today. World-renowned designer, Sir Paul Smith, and the founder of Rafa, Simon Mottram. Sir Paul and Simon have recently collaborated on a new collection, Rafa plus Paul Smith. So I'm going to start there. So can you tell me how it came about and what you aim to achieve with it? Well, the collection, the next one is out in spring 23, is that next year? Yeah. Yes, spring 23. And, uh, and we started in 2007 with the uh, collaborations and uh, with the jersey that is here, actually. It looks beautiful. It's, it's a green gr- one that people will have heard of, I think. Yeah. Yes. It's the Grand Depart one, that when the tour came here. We, we met because of our love of cycling 20 years ago. And uh, about a few years into Rafa starting, you know, Simon said, can you do a jersey for us? And it was an absolute honour. Amazing. The, the wonderful thing about Simon and, and Rafa is the attention to detail, which this very first jersey, I mean, try and produce that commercially. <laughs> it's got so much detail in it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the commercial guys would never make it anymore. They wouldn't allow us to make this, I don't think, anymore. Yeah. And they wouldn't allow us to charge 175 quid, I think we charged at the time. That seemed like outlandishly expensive, but as it sold out in about six hours and it's still on eBay at five to ten thousand quid a pop I think our commercial now was quite strong wasn't it yeah I think we did well we did well I mean the thing I've always wanted to ask uh, Simon though is is the background he comes from and why cycling and why Rafa because that's a pretty interesting question don't you think (laughs) that's something I'd like to get into actually because you're both make clothes for a living it is a business you you know it's pretty good at cycling (laughs) so you've got a lot more in common than that but what you both share is your passion for the sport and your love for the sport and I'm interested in knowing how you translate that into a business, into making clothes and kind of expressing more than just the functionality of cycling gear into something bigger. Well, I think Simon's timing was just amazing because I'm a very different generation to both of you. And for cycling, for me, as a young 12-year-old, which is when I started racing, it was a real different work, if we're allowed to say, I'm not sure what's PC anymore, but working man's sport, basically. And uh, it's now translated into something very different. And I think Simon really found that timing so right, the fact that there was such a generation of people out there that saw cycling in a different light, really. Yeah, I think innovation comes generally from people outside, from when people from the outside see something, that those who are knee-deep or neck deep in it just can't see and it's no it's no coincidence that neither of us were in the industry of cycling or in the sports industry um, I think you have to look in from the outside just with that pure passion of an enthusiast and that's all I was you raced Paul yeah. but you know yeah. I've only raced twice and I was terrible and um, mm. I'll never race again because I'm not strong well, I came second but it was in a pursuit <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and when I got, got home that night from Herne Hill or wherever it was he said how do you do son I said came second dad I just didn't say anymore <laughs> to be a pursuit <laughs> that's like when I first did the attack and I called the office and said they said how did you get on I said oh, I got a bronze meaning I finished so I was probably number 3,000 out of 4,000 <laughs> they went around later. and I came third it was brilliant (laughs) so what is it about cycling so I I think picking up on what we were just saying looking from the outside I think there's an interesting thing about the British history of cycling and the European proper history of cycling as I would see it and for me there's a whole load of different layers there's the beauty and the history of European racing but then there's the experience of actually doing it and riding most days as I do still 
that's why I do it. I do it because I enjoy the process of what cycling does for me. Um, it just makes everything fall into place and it's like daily therapy. Then you've got all the sort of beautiful aesthetics that go with it. Then you've got the sort of sporting side, which I'm obsessed with watching the sport. And that's even though it's trying to take itself down the toilet, it's still an amazing thing to consume for someone like me. So it's multifaceted. And we can all take something out of it. But I think the whole aesthetic and the romance and the beauty of it had just been overlooked for too long. And that just gave a massive opening for people like me to step into. What is it about cycling that drew you in and continues to draw you in? Uh, at the beginning, it was the fact that um, I, a very practical thing. I got bought a second-hand racing bike <laughs> as it from a mate of my dad's and the man that he bought it from said did your lad want to come on a club run at the weekend and i got out there and like wind in my face and the sound of the tires and then you're feeling um, competitiveness and uh, racing for a city sign and everybody used to belt towards the sign and then coming home on a sunday afternoon after about 120 miles age 12 and getting into a bath and and then of course somebody the older members bringing in a, a french magazine that had jacques Anquetil on the cover and he was like Oh gosh, he's this handsome guy with a blonde on his arm wearing this yellow jersey. Simon knows this story, but I said to my dad one day, because my parents never, we never went abroad, we were very down to earth family, little family. And I said to my dad, I was age 13, I was really into Jacques Anquetil. And my, my father said, What's those words? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even know it was a name. No, it's just no. words. Yeah, because yeah. It, you know he'd never spoken a different language or anything. So it was just this whole romantic thing, and and then of course eventually the elegance of the bike, the fact that you considered how your style was sitting on a bike, and the length of the bars, and keeping the bike in the bedroom at night, and worshiping it every night. And, Obviously, there was no internet in those days. How did you come by all your information about cycling? It was few and far between, yeah. not many publications. I mean, saving up for one of the French magazines, and there was Bridocks in centre of Nottingham, had a, occasionally had this one. I used to go into town on the 5A bus and, <laughs> and then uh, hopefully find one with Fausto Coppi or a Jacques Anquetil. So to answer your question, it was just through being passionate and word and there are two or three of the older riders that had never been to France or but talked about the, this place called Flanders and you know just stuff just stuff I bought a, a tin of, of Avian water because I'd seen it on a jersey and I, that was my association with, you know, because Avian used to sponsor a team at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who'd have thought? Yeah. But, it, but it, it wasn't so long ago. It was still difficult when you were starting out, Ed, and when, when we were starting out. I remember, you know, getting L'Equipe and getting the Gazetta was really quite difficult. There were certain yeah. shops in Old yeah. Compton Street you could go and get it. And when we started our clubhouses, we always used to have, I insisted on us having every day L'Equipe and the Gazetta, mm. just so people who were yeah. in the know could come and read it. I think that's died out a yeah. while ago, yeah. but... But it's because we were sort of you were looking for any kind of information about the sport, and there were probably ten books had been written. You know, you had Tim Crabbe, and you had Graham Watson's photography, and a couple of things by yeah, no, Will no books, no books. But it was really. nothing. Yeah. So I had them all. So then, then what? So we had to start writing our own and doing our own magazine and what have you. And that makes me wonder: has your relationship and feeling about the sport changed over the years? Has it has become 
more mainstream, more easily accessible, more easy to get information on? And has it become a bigger sport in the UK? Time is probably better to answer that. But for me, because it's such a big difference from when I started, because my age, now it's just... It's like everything now is a, everything's a business now. Before it was just something you did because it was great and you got excited and you were, it was camaraderie. I mean, just as a quick aside before Simon goes in, I mean, what cycling's helped me as a, as a person who owns their business still and is independent was that, that whole thing about camaraderie, teamwork, playing to strengths. You know, you help the climber on the day when there's a climb and you help the sprinter when it's sprint day. And so that's what you do in a business like mine, you know, with 2,000 staff, is you use the designer for the correct thing and you use the IT guy for the correct thing. And that all goes all the way back to being 12, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think literally 18 and a bit years ago, we launched Rafa just over the road, 50 metres from where we're sitting now in the Truman Brewery. And the world was a very different place then, and it was a bit like a sort of coming out for people who were these secretive cyclists in London or in the UK. Lots of them are probably still here, come every year, because we were desperate for something like this, and Ruler Alive is a sign of... We wouldn't have believed that you could do this, that the whole of this great big area is now a great big celebration of cycling, whereas we had one little gallery. But I think we shouldn't kid ourselves. It's still a pathetically small sport with virtually no money that's niche and is, looks totally unappealing and irrelevant to loads of people. And that pisses me off. So I love the fact there's a ruler alive. I love the fact that Rafa's big and we sell lots of products and I see lots of people wearing our products on the road. But there's so many millions of people for whom they, yeah, they haven't discovered it yet. And that's such a shame. What's incredibly sad is when I look at the newspaper as I will tomorrow, tend to read something called a newspaper still <laughs> at the weekends and almost never, you know, very occasionally certain newspapers will mention cycling uh, and others you think he's just been the world championships he's not in the papers, come on guys, these are really talented lads, you know, worked very hard and they've flown halfway across the world and and you've not even got that much you know, tied two centimetres of yeah. It's so I strange. None of us should rest on our laurels at all because no. we've got so far to go. Being passionate about cycling is it's a feeling. It's something that maybe it's hard to explain. Maybe you don't need to explain because it is a feeling. How do you translate that feeling into the physical reality of making cycling clothing? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think you start by not compromising. So the reason we started with products that were a little more expensive than products on the market at the time was that we wanted everything to be absolutely perfect. Because if you're going to go and spend seven hours sweating into a jersey, carrying all your tools and your food and your arm warmers and your phone and what have you, you don't want it to be rubbish and you don't want it to chafe and you don't want the zip to rattle and you don't want, you know. So start by not compromising. And that comes from enjoying riding and trying to get the most out of riding. But then what you want to do is you want to try and translate what I like to do or used to is to try and translate the feeling of cycling and the beauty of it into the way the aesthetics of the jersey work or the kit works, which is quite hard to do. Sometimes you can do it literally by telling stories. And, you know, we've done quite a lot of that together, Paul and I, with with various Rafa and Paul Smith collaborations. But sometimes lots of handwriting, didn't we? Yeah, lots of quotes and phrases. A lot of the ones, the Paul Smith ones, had little things, secret little bits of handwriting inside of things I'd remembered about the joy of the open road and the tree that you saw on your ride. Yeah, there was always one tree that I saw on my training run, 
you know, which was my tree. <laughs> my staff even at one point tried to buy it for me. The tree, <laughs> yeah, because it was my tree. Yeah. <laughs> by the fields. Luckily, they didn't. They didn't <laughs> get it. Got into the show. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but so I think sometimes you can do it literally through storytelling. But sometimes it's just colours and it's texture and it's patterns. And of course, and fashion comes into it as well because the collaboration we're doing for next year is got a lot more colour in it because you go back in time and you see when colour TV started and yeah. you know and one of the things like you know, it was interesting is like Tommy Simpson's Peugeot black and white still was the most the strongest on colour TV yeah. <laughs> even though it was black and white that was interesting but also the, some of the stuff we've done for next year is very much about when colour came more and where there were more advertisers more sponsors so it filled up a bit you know which is strangely ironically that's also the departure point for Rafa was to, we were sort of kicking back against that because for quite a while that's all you could buy you know yeah. Pulte kit and Mape kit although Mape is now sort of a design classic but there was a lot of explosions in paint factories we used to call it yeah. and now it's almost gone full circle it's now we're purveyors of explosions in paint factories yeah. because it's, it's fashion and I, I mean works. I love all the provincial clubs across Italy and France you know where they've literally got there's not an <laughs> inch of logos. yeah yeah they've got you know the window cleaners put in 5,000 quid and the jerseys are so full and they're that's amazing that's what cycling looks like that's probably yeah. what we think when yeah. we think of cycling or bike racing yeah. that's probably still in our heads I yeah. think and yeah. black socks oh my god <laughs> my first jersey of course was wool and it just had nothing written on it at all it was just the club colours because it was hard to put stuff on yeah. jerseys yeah. wasn't it you burgundy it green and white and that was it with three front pockets three back pockets and wool with a collar uh, yeah and that was uh, yeah. thank you very much for your time good luck with the new collection and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon I'm interrupting this podcast to remind all listeners to subscribe to Rouleur. Rouleur is the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture. We feature the work of the best writers in cycling, along with the very best photography, elegantly laid out and printed on high-quality paper. Our deep dives into road racing, gravel, adventure cycling and life on two wheels are immersive, independent, agenda-setting and thought-provoking. We aim to educate, entertain inform and inspire. Our latest magazine is Rouleau 115, The Design Issue. There can't be any other sport in which design is so intrinsically important as cycling. The very best bikes are the perfect marriage of form and function, which is exactly what design is. Rouleau 115 features an exclusive interview and photo shoot with bike manufacturing legend Tom Ritchie at home in California. Ritchie was moving fast and breaking things in Silicon Valley decades before the internet tech bros. There are also interviews with Tiffany Cromwell, who designs clothes and Formula One helmets in between being a successful World Tour cyclist, and David Gaudu, who was fourth in last year's Tour de France. We've also covered race design. Richard Abraham's feature, The Empty Diagonal, is a love letter to La France Profonde and the Tour de France's relationship with its home country. But it's also about so much more than that. Rouleau 115 is available until December the 9th, 2022. To support our journalism and receive a magazine every six weeks, please subscribe. Go to rouleau.cc, hit the subscribe button and enter the code PODCAST15, that's PODCAST15, to get 15% off our regular subscription price. I'm here at the Jarps Custom Shoes stand at Rouleau Live. 
Charlotte Jarps creates bespoke cycling shoes for pro cyclists and also teams, individuals and brands. Each piece is designed and hand-painted in the northeast of England. And we've got here a display of cycling shoes, which are each decorated uniquely, very colourfully. There is a set of shoes decorated in the Ruler Live livery, which look absolutely beautiful. My personal favourite, there's a set of shoes painted Van Gogh's Starry Night. And as an art history graduate, I, you know, Van Gogh was one of my gateway drugs into the world of art. And to see them linked here with the world of cycling is, is fantastic. So Charlotte is here with me now, and she's just going to tell us a little bit about what she does with the shoes, why she does it, and what her concept is behind these shoes. So Charlotte, first of all, thank you for coming to show. Are you having a good time? Having a great time, yeah. It's been very busy. I had lots of lovely conversations with people. So, yeah, brilliant. These shoes look absolutely amazing. And each one just looks so detailed. And it, they look exact as well. Um, it must be, first of all, just on the skill level of creating it, it must be quite difficult to get the fine detail. Yeah, I mean, it, lots of practice. I've been going now since 2018. I started it as a little bit of a hobby and then kind of grown the business from that. So I've had a lot of practice since then um, and hopefully improved a lot and got a little bit quicker as well. So it takes hours sometimes to paint them. There are a lot of details in there, um, but I really enjoy it. I love painting and I'm really lucky that I can do this for a job. And this is a question I never normally get to ask because normally I speak to professional cyclists. Where do you get your ideas? Well, mostly I get my ideas from the customer. So they'll come up with the inspiration, whether it's a Van Gogh painting, for example, or they want their shoes to match their bike. And then I'll come up with a design mock-up from that. So a lot of times it does come from the customer. Um, I do my own designs as well and put those out there for people to have if they want those. Um, but it's just something that I really enjoy doing. So I tend to still draw a lot of my own stuff and, and illustrate my own design mock-ups as well. So. And could you explain a few of the shoes we've got here, just take us through the concept behind them and explain what they are? Yeah, so I've got um, a pair here that I did a couple of years ago and they are just a display pair that I like to you know, bring with me to show what you can do on a shoe. So these ones are Felipe Pantone inspired because I just love his work. Um, so they're very monochrome, black and white, lots of different shapes and then the bright colours in there too. So they're kind of like a black and white with um, rainbow in there as well. They look almost like op arts, these shoes here. They're abstract patterns, but very bold colours in the black and white is very striking as well. Yeah, it's something that I really love to do. I like to create the graphic patterns on there. And then as well, at the other end of the scale, I've got a Van Gogh pair that are very, very different to those. So um, tiny little brush strokes, very, very detailed. And I also like to do shoes where, you know, you're doing a lot of colour blending. And um, for example, I've got some at the end there with flowers on. So they're all neatly kind of blended and lots of different tones and things like that. So very different styles. It's quite fun to be able to pick up on lots of different types of styles and fashions. Are there certain patterns or images that are harder to do than others? I would say probably the ones with the straight lines and the text are probably the hardest ones to do because you've got to get those straight lines on the curve of the shoe so um, that can take some time and it has taken me a lot of practice to be able to do it because everything is hand painted I don't use any stencils or anything like that so I would say that's kind of 
the hardest part. And which ones are your own personal favourite? I'm sure it's like having favourite children, but which ones do you really get a sense of satisfaction or aesthetic joy out of? I love the ones that I created in collaboration with Roulette and Physique because I just love the pattern um, on those and the colours. I also created some Paul Smith striped ones, kind of an, an homage to Paul Smith because I just love his work. So those are a favourite as well. And the Van Gogh ones, obviously, they're probably one of the most detailed shoes that I've ever done. So. And finally, where can people find your work? Do you have a website? Yeah, so I've got a website. It's jarps.com. And I'm also on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me all over social media as well. Yeah. And that's J-A-R-P-Z dot com. That's correct, yeah. Thanks very much for your time. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thanks so much. Lovely to meet you. So introduce yourself, mm-hmm. who you work for, your favorite team kit, professional team kit of all time, and why. Okay. My name is Olga Avalos. I'm the editor of Bolata magazine. And my favorite uh, jersey is the one that Reynolds used to wear during the, the 80s. Why? Because of Pedro Delgado. Because that's my first memory in cycling. And when he won the Tour de France in 1988. So, and I love the colors, the combination of colors. And it's been there in my memory since, since then. So... My name's Alfie. I'm the cycling specialist at Paul Smith. Favorite cycling kits ever? I have two. So the first London Velo kit when I moved to London, it was pink, blue, and white, and it had this like rippled wave effect to represent the Thames, I guess, in Greenwich. And it had anchors on it because it was the emblem for Deptford, and it had our little dog Maurice from the, the bike shop on it. Amazing, like that stands out in my mind. I love that one. And the second is East London Fixed's original skin suits for racing in Red Hook Criterium. They're absolutely iconic and they had custom painted bikes to match. Those are my favorite kits ever. It was like this almost kind of Aztec star tessellated all over the kit and it had these sunset tones in it of pink and orange, but lots of black and white. It's it. The skin suits kind of looked a bit like a concept car when it's in its skin to disguise it. It was just wicked, such a cool kit. Yeah, hi, I am Dries from uh, Cycling in Flanders. If you ask me about my favorite cycling kit of all time, my first answer would probably be the Mappe kits that you on Musee wore. It's uh, a lot of colors, uh, it's very visible, but it's so... <laughs> Some people find it very ugly, but because it's so special, it makes it unique and it really stands out. So if I see somebody now on a bike with that kit, it's always like a head turner, like awesome. The second one, they have probably the 7-11 team. Uh, I really like the colors, the green, the reds, and also, yeah. I did a couple of uh, retro events, like in Flanders, we have the retro Tour of Flanders. So that's always the bike I'm riding with and uh, also the jersey I'm wearing then. Hello, my name's Ed Clancy. I'm a recently retired professional cyclist. Currently, I have a few different jobs with British Cycling, British Triathlon, Performance Consultancy Business, CAMS. My favourite cycling kit of all time is uh, probably the Rafa Condor Sharp kit that we used to wear, probably like back in 2011, 2012. And um, yeah, maybe I'm biased, I used to ride for that team, but it was just cool, it was iconic and I like to think that that's where the Rafa brand kind of started, you know, before it went a bit more mainstream and went to Team Sky and 
got bought out by big companies and it just looked cool and that sort of pink stripe separated it from everything else and um, yeah, the legend lives on. Did you find that the other teams were envious of your sleek black kits with oh, the yeah. nice details? I mean, uh, we did all right racing-wise, but there was no doubt that we were the best-dressed team in the UK peloton for, for a long time, actually. And, um, yeah, I loved the way that the Rafa kit sort of went with the Condor bikes. You know, there were two relatively small and niche brands from London that loved quality kit. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the best-kitted-out team I've ever been with. So I'm Emilio Parvitali. I'm the editor of the Italian edition of Rouleur, Rouleur Italia. And the team kit I really like is the La Vie Claire. And I love that kit because there are many connections with the team jersey. So the first one is that the production of the jersey is done in the town where I live, in Bergamo. And uh, I did an interview once with Pietro Santini. So the guy who at the end decided to produce that crazy, at, the, at that time was a crazy project. And that was one of the reasons I love that kit on top of the other reason. The other one was that my father received that kit as a present and I was a young cyclist and uh, I was using, uh, you know, old, really old school things. And that uh, jersey at that time was like a light in the future. That was the... And uh, so I had that desire always to have that kit, but I, I never had. And then, of course, the story and the, and the team itself uh, is, is wonderful for me. So that's the, the main reason why I like. I'm Ian Cleverly, a former Reeler editor. I now work for a cargo bike company called Pedal Me and a bike show called The Cycle Show. My favourite strip, I, d I don't know if this resonates with a lot of people, but it was basically the first one that, when I got into, first got into cycling, when I was a teenager, when I was like 13, and there were two British teams that were the top teams in the UK. Bantel, which were all in black. They were a, a kid's toy manufacturer, I think. Sid Barris was their absolute number one. And Holdsworth. And Holdsworth was orange and a very unusual shade of blue. Very simple, just classic design. Keith Lambert was their star rider, from the rightly. Lovely man, Keith. And that was the first one that really resonated with me. Yeah, Bantel was a bit black for me, a bit plain. Holdsworth, that orange just zinged. Hello, my name is Joe Laverick. I race a Hargis Berman Axion. I'm here at uh, Rue Live. Uh, my favourite jersey is the Retro Persia one, which we all know, love and remember. Why? Just because I don't make them like that anymore. These days, it's all kind of sponsor-driven and a little bit... It's a little bit too corporate for my liking. Uh, Peugeot... They're never going to make one like it, and I mean, if a team came to me and that was their jersey, they'd be the first team I would sign for. All right, I am Kate Verano. I'm the Director of Women's Strategy at Zwift. My favorite team kit is this past year, 2022 Canyon SRAM kit. They kind of broke the mold years ago with like this really flashy design, and every year they evolve it, and this year they just kind of blew it off the charts, and it just uh, was a really unique design it brought in like weather elements it was it was chaotic but beautiful and when you looked at it 2d i saw it 2d a pdf or something and i was like oh this is going to be weird and then you saw it on riders and it just triangles on the shoulders and it was it just looks fierce but also beautiful and sleek and just one of my favorite kits in the peloton really beautiful always stands out i can always find them in the race yeah and it has a nice story behind the design as well so really good one so uh, I'm Matt Stevens. I'm here at Ruler Live, and I'm a presenter, broadcaster, gun for hire in the cycling industry. Really, do a lot of stuff. Love what I do, but I do have a favourite kit. 
Um, my favourite kit is the Lavi Claire kit, going back to 1985, 1986. And my first exposure to the Tour de France, in a visceral sense, was going on to Alpe d'Huez with my dad when I was 16. And, and that, that trip had been penciled in for a while. So for Christmas, I asked my mum and dad to buy me the Lavi Claire kit. But it wasn't a knockoff copy, it was the actual Santini, a really high quality shorts. They weren't bib shorts, the bib shorts weren't really a thing then. And I remember wearing the jersey and holding the shorts, and they were like Santini kit back then was really, really high quality. And uh, they weren't woolen, they were proper cycling shorts. But I don't think I was really conscious of the design then, and it was obviously inspired by Mondrian. Um, and now I'm really into art and know a lot about his work. So that came later, but I, I clearly had an eye for something that was a little bit different. So it was quite a disruptive kit. And the guys that wore it with, with real panache were, were the guys that I think inspired me to take a step and turn pro. So that Tour de France, with those guys w winning, well, Le Monde winning and, and Hino just being Hino, obviously there's a separate story there, isn't there? The reason I'm here today, I said I want to be a pro cyclist. It took me a long time, from 16 to 30, and essentially I was properly turned pro. And that jersey, I think in the pantheon of jerseys, there's, there's other ones at that time that are important. I think we, I need to give a little bit of a nod to Peugeot, the classic Peugeot. Robert Miller, that kind of era, Yates, uh, Alan Piper, all the, the Brits abroad, Foreign Legion. And another nod, I think, to Renault, Renault Elf, that iconic jersey. I could go on, but if I'm going to keep it singular, it is that jersey. And if anybody doesn't know, they haven't seen it, look it up. But it's, yeah, Mondrian-inspired, white, blue, red, yellow. They're the colours in like an abstract uh, mathematical feel to it. A beautiful jersey. My name's Nick Craig. I'm here at the Ruler Show Live. Uh, working for Scott Sports. My favourite jersey was a jersey that I raced in in 1992. It was a team called Peugeot Look. We were sponsored by Campag at the time, which is incredible as a mountain bike group set. But the jersey and shorts, in my opinion, were way ahead of the time in uh, design. We had a plain block colour, really nice sort of deep slaty blue with a beigey blue. It's really hard to describe it, but it was... Nobody did that back in 1992, so it was a real step up from everyone having the names splattered all over the jerseys like the Italians to really subtle and a really cool jersey. So that, for me, was uh, my favourite jersey. Do you just like the colour? The colours and the, the, the fact that it was set in a new trend, it was like less is more, simple. As, you don't have to write and say. You know, and we sit, I still see it now. If I look at some of the bikes, for instance, and some of the jerseys that we have now in the Scott range, the ones that really don't say Scott say Scott more than the ones that say Scott, and I really like it so subtle. I'm Rebecca Charlton. I'm a freelance broadcaster. I've worked in the cycling industry for quite some time now, maybe longer than I care to admit. Uh, it's been a fantastic ride so far. And what really stands out for me in the way of professional cycling jerseys is a Lamprey replica kit that I had and it actually belonged to my mum and she absolutely loved it but I stole it at a very young age and I remember when I started racing at my local track league I was probably only seven years old perhaps and it actually came down pretty much to my knees right down past my elbows it's a really baggy jersey but I just adored the pink and blue on it and uh, I've still got it to this day. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. 
it'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts.